Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wine Grants, unscripted chat about the unfunded, the official podcast of the unfunded list. I'm Dave Moss, founder of the list and host of this podcast. Welcome. I'm in a booth with two handsome gentlemen, Steve and Eugene. Uh, Eugene and I have known each other for a while. He works at the Millennial Action Project for Steve. Uh, Steve has the longest bio that I've been able to find yet. Uh, you, this, this is, in fact, the 20th episode of Wine Grants. Wow. Um, Congratulations. So thank you. It's a real thank honor. Thank you very much for joining us here. It's a real honor to be here. Uh, and this, and I have, this is, I think, going to be a first. I don't think I'll read your entire bio. Excellent. Only, <laughs> that's a great gasp. Um, before that, though, I need to, is this my wine? That is yours. We'll come up with a system. Make sure I'll always be on this side. Yeah, perfect. We are drinking box wine this week uh, mm. because we are millennials. And actually, this is pretty, even though mm -hmm. it came out of a box, it's pretty good. Stephen Olicaro. There's and... a little story behind the wine. Can I just Oh, please. Say? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in Wisconsin and uh, went to school in Madison. Uh, and that's uh, the same place where I first drink, started drinking wine. And uh, my, best, my best buddy in college uh, spent a year in Argentina, mm. and, and, and he became a big wino. So our first wine was the, the Malbec from the Mendoza region of Argentina. And the best year, it just so happened that the best year, I don't think, this wine is of this year, but uh, 2008 was the best year. It for... says 2014 on the yeah, box, on the side of the box here. Yeah, also, also a good year. Also a good year. But yeah, sure fine it year. is. Fine year. It's very... you know this wine stays fresh up to six weeks after opening. Oh, very nice. It also says that on the box. Excellent, excellent. This you is can good tell wine. it's good wine when they tell you how long it stays fresh after opening. <laughs> very nice. So it's a good choice of wine. Thank you for giving it. Uh, yeah, no problem. And uh, so Stephen Olacara at Stephen Olacara is a political entrepreneur public servant, and founding president of the Millennial Action Project, MAP. MAP is a national, nonpartisan organization dedicated to activating young policymakers to overcome partisan conflict through cooperative political leadership and governance. In this role, he organized the nation's first and only bipartisan caucus for young members of Congress, the Congressional Future Caucus. Stephen's leadership of this movement at the national and state levels has led to landmark achievements advancing entrepreneurship, social impact investing, 21st century skills training for veterans, and other key issues affecting millennials in America. Stephen also serves as senior advisor to multi-platinum recording artist Akon's Lighting, Lightning, Lighting Africa. Indeed. Akon. So the artist is Lighting Africa, and it is Akon. I know Akon, who Akon is. Akon's the artist, and it's an initiative called Akon ah, Lighting Africa. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So, awesome. Very cool. I didn't know you did that. An initiative to electrify over one million homes in Africa with solar power. A nationally recognized leader, Stephen's work has been focused, has been featured on NBC, ABC, CNN, MSNBC, Al Jazeera America, New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, National Journal, Political, USA Today, uh, the Wine Grants podcast and other major <laughs> media outlets. I want to point out now that that is I am like I am less than halfway done with your bio, Steve. Um, and I, as you pointed out beforehand, I don't think anybody wants to hear the rest of this. There's a lot of really I can see I see Phi Beta Kappa, Harvard, Yale, lots of really impressive looking words. There you go. In the second half of your bio, uh, obviously you're an impressive young person. Uh, we uh, this is the um, I guess the the um, the, the most political episode of Wine Grants we've had. Oh, excellent. Uh, we did have one guy who runs uh, something called the Commodia Foundation, which uh, I should, in fact, connect you guys with them. I um, helped them with their launch. It's a uh, similar mission, except they're much more focused on comedy. Uh, they want to bring people together uh, across political lines using uh, using comedy. And it was a, uh, he just started up 
his thing, and uh, we wish him uh, the best of luck. Nice. And uh, had him by a couple weeks ago. Very nice. Um, I think, though, you know, uh, when we think about uh, nonprofits, and you guys are a 501c3 charitable nonprofit, like the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or something like that. Uh, we don't really think about political work. That is uh, sort of categorized in a different section in our heads. Both, uh, you know, for me, when I wear my donor hat, I, I, th I do think that is something we consider separately. Uh, the foundation that I run, we're not allowed to uh, make any political contributions. So those, I can't even bring it up at those meetings. Um, but uh, the, the limitations on a 501c3 are, are actually kind of limited. You, you can't endorse, what are, the, what are you not allowed to do? Well, we're not allowed to lobby for any type of legislation, and we're not able to electioneer or get involved in any type of election, endorse any candidate, or oppose any candidate. Mm -hmm. So that's what we can't do. But you can, uh, so what can you do? So we can, <laughs> and, and I should clarify that to say that um, actually 501c3s can uh, lobby up to, I think it's about 20% of the right. time. You need to be very strict about accounting for that. But what we can do is uh, convene and, and provide educational resources and do leadership development. Uh, and the traditional nonprofit, like you said, the Salvation Arm Army that does direct services is, is one model. But uh, there is a new model emerging from our generation, and that's in the social entrepreneurship mindset, which is we need to work ourselves out of a job. Yeah. If we're existing for 50 years, maybe there's something wrong about our model. Maybe something about the solution something that a rebrand won't fix yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so uh if, if you're not creating a sustainable model that can be institutionalized acculturated and, and and in some cases even commercialized then uh you're not creating real sustainable change mm -hmm. uh it's a you know it's a very good point i think uh i talk in the in the booth here with my guests often about uh, what i call the dinosaurs mm -hmm. uh right. basically any nonprofit that's I think probably if you're a, if you're at the century point at this point, you really need to, I think you need to be, rather than patting yourself on the back about how prestigious you are and how well-respected you are, right. uh, think about uh, how far have we gone in a hundred years solving the problem that we, that, you know, and obviously none of them were actually at some of these nonprofits. It's possible that some of the board members were around a hundred years ago when these things were founded. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some of them are pretty close. But I mean, like, you know, the, uh, you know, some of these conservation groups and stuff like that, like, you know, the things have gotten worse right. under your tenure. Uh, I have some problems with the, uh, so I'm a member of the Jewish community and we have a mm -hmm. national nonprofit that, um, that organizes the community called Federation. They right. do some good work. Yeah. Yeah. Very familiar. Uh, one of the things I would say about them is that their original problem, they solved it. They uh, worked themselves out of job, but didn't stop working. Mm. Uh, in the original days of the Federation, one of the reasons why it was necessary, let me get the stop clock started, sorry. Uh, one of the reasons that Federation was necessary is we literally weren't allowed in hospitals, we weren't allowed in social clubs, like we were like denied basic services, so right. we created something that, that, that substituted those services. Right. Today, if you're lucky, you'll end up at a Jewish hospital if you're sick. Yeah. Uh, that's mm -hmm. not really, like, I'm not worried about getting sick and then be like, oh, we don't treat Jews here. That's not, like, anti-Semitism is real. There's a lot of issues out there facing us. But the stuff that was, that Federation was set up for, not a problem anymore. Which is why I think they often have a hard time figuring out what it is that they're doing because their original problem doesn't exist. Um, there's a lot of similar nonprofits about that. And I think they, there's a general model and mindset from the previous generations mm -hmm. that success means getting bigger, right. not 
obviously success does not mean <laughs> going out of business. Right. Uh, and I also think that you know there were more problems. Uh, problems were a much bigger fact of life uh, 100 years ago and much more accepted, right? right. Like infant mortality. Like, I think there was probably a lot less outrage about uh, problems that we would, that people would absolutely not tolerate today. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, I like, how long have you been around? Been around for three years. And when do you think you will, what's your plan for, for putting yourself out of business? How long will that take? I think we have about a 20 year time horizon because yeah, uh, the millennials now who are in their 20s and 30s uh, in 20 years will be in our 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. That's when we will have successfully taken up the reins of government. And by then, we'll see the result of our work. Either our country has been able to overcome this hyper-partisanship and dysfunction, and, or we'll be doomed to the same uh, status quo that we're seeing today. And uh, I think you know, 20 years from now, you'll see a dramatic uh, increase in participation and the belief that politics can make a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, in your uh, first few years, what, have, what has been some of your um, uh, major Point, uh, hiring Eugene is that your the biggest thing pointing at Eugene absolutely we, that's your biggest success Eugene and hiring uh, Nick who's next door to us those are definitely two of our biggest successes but I know Eugene can say more about what we've been up to yeah what's some, what is, what's some stuff that you've done Eugene oh we've had quite a few accomplishments that have presented us with even more opportunities I think um, probably the, the the greatest success um, that we can affiliate with is the uh, the founding of the future caucus system across the country um, and this is uh, this is uh, these are groups of young lawmakers, either at the state or federal levels, um, that are working uh, across party lines to identify opportunities uh, to break the partisan status quo um, and to really usher in a new era of political cooperation. That sounds great. Functionally, what is what are we doing? Um, we are. Thank you for <laughs> asking my follow-up question. I've known you long enough. <laughs> um, no, I, I, essentially, uh, you know, as we're a five hundred one c three, you know. We, we have no desire to influence the process of legislation, nor do we have the desire to get behind any particular candidate. We have a desire to to support a new movement, um, and I, you know, really work with young lawmakers across the country, connect young lawmakers around the country, um, again, just to identify, uh, you know, have the, help them identify their own areas for collaboration. Right. So, um, for us, it's 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 a very relational process. It's a very um, you know, and it's a very hands-off process, almost organic. Um, different future caucuses in the over a dozen states that they're organized in um, come, come upon different issues and mm -hmm. um, come upon different passions. And um, what's really exciting for us is when we can connect, you know, lawmakers across states who have uh, parallel ideas or are working on issues from different angles and help them find ways or help them connect so they can find ways to address these problems in, in ways that they might not have thought of previously. Mm. Um, so for me, that that's one of the most exciting parts is watching some of the cross-pollination that occurs with legislatures, in legislatures, with legislators as a result of our work. So uh, to go back a little bit, while you are not allowed to endorse a candidate, uh, you are allowed to work with them right. uh, directly. Right? And I think um, uh, that's something that's worth clarifying for folks out there, especially for folks sure. who might want to be doing similar work to you folks. I know a lot of nonprofit people who just stay completely away from both lobbying, yeah. which I th would also like to talk about, uh, and uh, and the political sphere because they have some sort of nebulous understanding that they're not allowed to do it, right? right. You, what you, uh, to be clear, you can't say, I think um, 
well, I don't uh, have a 501c3, so these I'm not bound by these rules. So uh, I'm allowed to say that I endorse Hillary Clinton for president. Yeah. You can't. Right. You can't. But as Stephen Olacara, the individual, I can. I can actually as an individual. You can. Yeah. But not. But so how does that get that that that? Uh, I've never even understood that. I have a pretty good understanding of of how these things work. Uh, right now, you're here in the booth. Uh, uh, you're obviously representing Stephen Olacara, mm -hmm. but you're also representing the Monial Action Project. You can't. Can you say who? Like what? What? What are you? Like, do you have to say, I'm. I'm not speaking. Like, do you have to turn it on and off? Like, what's the? What are the? What are? How do you stay on the right side of things? Well, obviously, I have to be careful. But in most situations, since I lead the organization, I'm representing the organization itself. So uh, I have to be very careful. And you know, publicly, I'm not endorsing anyone. But I will be voting for someone this fall, just like everyone else in this country should mm -hmm. be and uh well you know obviously i'm not going to talk about who, who that is but i can talk about some of the values and principles that not only i but i think our generation is looking for mm -hmm. uh, yes and like uh and i think that you know i like the existence of your organization we have uh i believe a very old uh group of elected officials i think they might might be the, the oldest senate we've ever had if it's not as close uh, and at a certain point, you're just a bunch of old men, and it doesn't really matter who's older. <laughs> and these younger folks must have a really big disadvantage over folks that have been there on the Hill 30, 40 years. They have these big networks. I think that's the case in any any period of history in any industry ever, right? The young people are always going to have a leg down uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to the older generation. I think what you're seeing as far as the demographics, there's just, you know, the baby boomers, right? This is their time to shine, um, and shine they are. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those things. Godspeed, boomers. <laughs> Thanks <Goodbye>. for everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, with, with great deal of respect to the boomers who laid the foundation for, for the work that we're doing now, um, certainly. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think that's just a function of, unfortunately, demographics. I would, mm -hmm. I would hope that we can usher in a few more millennials into, into, uh, into positions of power around the country as, as, as citizens in, in, in short order. So, but you are, as an organization, interested in seeing younger folks as elected officials. Absolutely. The uh, all other things being equal, you have a, a preference for younger elected officials. You would like to say a measure of success for you would be the average age going down. Well, n not necessarily. I mean, that's a preference of ours, but programmatically, we're not setting up a pack to help elect you know young people right. to to run for office. Mm -hmm. But but we certainly have a preference of that. But the reason that's important is because. If you look historically, young people have always been the force that pushes our nation into Absolutely. the future. We have a certain moral clarity, a certain uh, sense of what's right and wrong. And uh, the civil rights movement was led by young people. John Lewis was 25 years old mm -hmm. when he marched across the bridge in Selma. Dr. King was 34 when he gave the I Have a Dream. 26 when Montgomery he led the Montgomery bus Jefferson boycott. was 32, wrote the Declaration of Independence. At, around that age, absolutely. And uh, Madison was also in his 20s and 30s when he did his best work. So that's been the history of this country. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we, like, the, I believe there are, you know, the, the folks that wrote the founding documents are right. considerably younger than the people currently executing them is an interesting, yeah. uh, is an interesting aspect. And there are, uh, you know, you pointed out that you're not setting up a PAC, um, you know, to support young candidates. Uh, I'm interested in, when you said that. I was wondering, does that exist? Because that that exists for women and for mm. uh, other cultural groups. I don't think there's a Jewish pack, but maybe. Yeah, but they don't support. Yeah. I don't think they support candidates. They have their one issue. The only issue that matters to us yeah. Jews. <laughs> <laughs> I social justice is that I don't know what I don't know what Torah you're reading. All right, that was my little 
APAC shade. I'm sure they're listening. Well, yeah. First of all, I think <laughs> you're making a good point. Um, be curious your thoughts, too. I've been a big believer that there needs to be an EMILY's list for millennials that is non or bipartisan. And if there is, I don't know. Right. I don't know. There's not one. Um, there's some that have cropped up at the local level. Um, there's one in Philadelphia re- that we've been in touch with and another that has elect- supported others. Others have tacked kind of more towards, say, a service orientation. So there's a group called New Politics that supports service veterans in the military or in AmeriCorps to run for office, and they happen to be mm. young. But it's a huge void out there that I think is important to fill. Um, we knew mm. as a startup, and I hope for the startups listening, know that when you're starting an organization, you have to focus on doing one thing really well. If you try and do a mm. lot of things well up front, you're probably going to fail and overextend yes. yourself. So, this is excellent advice, everyone. So while I personally believe there needs to be a pack of that sort, um, that's not the goal of MAP, and it would be wrong and actually undermining to our mission to be having a, a pack and to be trying to support candidates. The reason for that is because we think we're in the business of convening and finding common ground. And if we're supporting candidates on the left and the right, that's not only going to create a lot of financial problems, you know, a lot of donors are going to be concerned about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But two, I think we want cooperation for everyone who can come to the table. We had Senator Ted Cruz come to our table in the uh, winter of uh, 2014. And he talked for 25 minutes about working with Democrats and the importance of millennials involved in politics. So if we had a PAC, you know, I don't know if you would be the person we're supporting, but I do think it's very important for... <laughs> well, if there was a PAC out there, I don't know. Yeah, is it possible? Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. Okay. But <laughs> Millennial Action Project as a 501c3, I think it was very important and very meaningful and impactful to have Senator Cruz involved. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a... Uh, not a supporter of the senators. I was at that event. And I was happy to see him there and hear him. Yeah. Uh, I um, I am a I vote mostly for Democrats. I have voted for Republicans in the past. The first person I ever voted for was uh, Susan Collins. Wow. Who's, uh, still in the still in the Senate. Absolutely. Uh, and still one of my favorites. And there was I mean I'm from Maine and that was a different. I voted for different reasons. Right. Uh, she was good for being senator. Is an actual job with like some like you have to do things for your state. It's not just. Like making speeches and bringing snowballs to work. Right. <laughs> right, right. Um, some of you, uh, some of the folks at home may have heard I had a uh, brief spill. Um, it's all good, guys. He's got it. I got. Sorry, it's still. You should have seen this Matrix level stuff didn't that he was doing to, there. I didn't even need to bring it up. The best part is it didn't get on your script, so if yeah. Uh, script yeah. Is, no, if I wanted I mean, to finish reading your bio later, I'd be able to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, and I think if you were to do that, I, I like you said you should, when you're starting out, yeah. find, like, don't try to be all things. Yeah. I, I talk to a lot of folks who are starting out. Pretty much everybody who applies to the funded list mm-hmm. is trying to do too much. Interesting. Um, that is, this is really common feedback we give to folks. If you can find one thing and do it well, that is, you're going to be more successful than most people. Most right. people don't have one thing they do well. Right. Um, I mean, I often say, think of your favorite people in your life, the people that have impacted you the most, your teachers, your mentors, things like that. Oftentimes, those people, I think, have found that to be the case. They mm. focus on one thing. They do it well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that they spend time with you is because that one thing that they were doing intersected with your life. Yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, for me, it's a teacher, and that person had to decide to do a very specific thing. And think about it. Not all, not all teachers operate on the same wavelength, um, but the best ones are really super focused. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'd also say like I had a I had a, a golf coach for a while, and he was just a, he's a professional golfer. He, it's a very niche field to get into, and because he was an expert at one thing, I think that's a lot of why he was uh, a good mentor to me. That's that's very interesting. But if you think about point. it in terms of efficacy, right? Anybody yeah. can be a mentor. Anybody can give terrible advice, um, but the people you remember mm-hmm. are focused. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's something someone who's good at a thing is. Worth, worth hearing from, right? And I'd also say, if you were to go into the pack space, that's crowded space. Yeah. Emily, I think Emily's List is a successful organization. They've been around for as long as I've been in town. Yeah. We do not have fifty percent women. Yeah. And in any government uh, body on the in the country, and true. we're not even really close. Yeah. And they've been doing a good job for a long time, and it's gonna and they're gonna it's gonna take it's gonna be uh, a, a it's gonna be a while before they're able yeah. to put themselves out of business. That's true. Uh, and good luck to them. I'm sure they all want. I'm sure they would love. I'm sure they would love I'm sure to be they would out of love business. To put themselves out of business. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, and um, and hopefully they have new jobs lined up. Yeah. After that. <laughs> <laughs> never quit your never quit your job unless you got another one lined up. <laughs> unless you're like me. They might then, be tired, but anyway. Then call your boss an asshole and get yourself fired. <laughs> That's the best way to do it. <laughs> if you're Dave Moss if, and you're listening at home, do that. <laughs> for all the Dave Mosses out there. Uh, you mentioned before uh, you talked about the lo- the limits on lobbying. And I think similar to talking about politics and political candidates, folks who are starting out have a similar fear about their ability to lobby, right? And I, I have a mentor in town, actually, who's a lobbyist, uh, Jeff Lawrence, if you're listening. Hello. Uh, and uh, when, I, when I first got to town, I asked him, like, you know, some people consider your profession unethical. What do you think of that? I ask questions like that to people. I don't. I <laughs> and he told me he's like, hey, look, you read the Constitution, the first, the, the the very first right that's outlined in there makes it pretty clear. I can petition the government. So, um, uh, when and I think, uh, you know, you're obviously allowed anyone to give the first the first amendment to tell an elected official, yeah, you'd like to see this happen, right? That's right. Uh, however, lobbying, you know, the influence peddling and stuff like that does need to be regulated, yeah, right? As so does. Speech is also regulated. It's all the amendments are regulated, in, even the Second Amendment. The um, <laughs> um, so you, like uh, I, you shouldn't be able to do like unlimited uh, lobbying. And if you are, uh, I think the public has a right to know how you're spending your money. That's right. However, uh, the the unsureness behind this causes some nonprofits that should be doing some lobbying to not do it. Yeah, at all. Sure. We had a guest on here who runs an alliance, the Alliance for Middle East Peace. And he doesn't actually do any on-the-ground peace work. Mm-hmm. He lobbies Congress for more money for people who are doing on-the-ground peace work. It's a really, and they pay him. They all pay membership dues so that he can be a lobbyist for them. Nice. Right? And, as, and he, one of the things he pointed out to me on the show is as a lobbyist, he's not, he doesn't just compete against people who don't want peace. He competes against Coca-Cola and Boeing. That's right. And every single person that's trying to get the attention of our elected officials. And those people have huge staffs of well-paid lobbyists who know exactly what they're doing. That's right. And if you don't even show up on the field, you're definitely not going to beat them. Yeah. Um, do you guys do any sort of, I mean, you're on the hill and interacting with these folks mm-hmm. and in a position, I think, uh, to, and again, you don't have to, I'm not saying you should support like uh, specific legislation or whatever, but there might be things out there you could lobby on behalf of. Is that a, um, is it work you're doing currently? Not quite. You're aware so. of the twenty percent figure, which puts you ahead of right. most people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, first of all, I think it's important to distinguish between corporate lobbyists and public interest lobbyists. Yes, absolutely. And so I have no problem with the 
environmental defense fund mm-hmm. having a lobbyist or wild, world wildlife fund or any NGO um, they're going to need to. How would they? Yeah. They can't. How would they do their work? And and it, and it speaks to the other point you were bringing up earlier about philanthropists who don't want to get political, because mm. if you're not getting political, what kind of change are you really making? I'm so tired of hearing you know social entrepreneurs who say, "I want to work myself out of a job. I want to scale my solution. I want to uh, create systemic change." But I want nothing to do with politics. <laughs> what are they talking about? Because there's nothing that scales a solution like public policy. Mm. Nothing better than that. And, and well, uh, case in point today, I believe the Justice Department uh, banned the uh, we're not going to have private prisons in the U.S. anymore. Wow. I don't know if you. Thirteen prisons. I didn't read specific department, but I think it's an amazing step. That's something that like without lobbying and interacting directly with the government. No nonprofit's ever going to accomplish that because the Justice Department's the only one that can shut them down. Absolutely. Um, and so, I, they probably were lobbied. I'm, and whoever, whichever nonprofit successfully got that moved forward, and the people who made Orange is the New Black or whatever. Yeah. I think that probably, I think the media probably had, did have a, a part to play in that. As they always do. I'll have to read more. Thank you for. I'm sure I, I knew it was tempered in some way. It <laughs> seemed like too good to be true. <laughs> now, now here's the thing: there are a lot of public interest lobbyists who are advocating for the environment or for closing private prisons who run into another problem, which is that Congress isn't moving. Our democracy doesn't work well. It's corrupted. It's gridlocked. And that's where we come in because we think the process itself is distorted and dysfunctional. And that's why it's important for us to kind of layer on with those issue-specific public interest groups so that they can achieve bipartisan reform on criminal justice, on immigration, on climate change, on all of those issues, which aren't getting a lot, nearly enough attention and progress that they should be getting. One of the issues that got me into this in the first place was the issue of climate change. I was working on that Senate cap-and-trade bill in 2010, which famously failed even after the BP oil spill. Mm. And... Internationally, it became clear yeah, that we would not make remember that. progress, if not for U.S. leadership on climate, because we're the second largest polluter and historically the largest polluter. So the solution after 2009-2010 couldn't have been to elect more Democrats, because we had the largest majority of Democrats that we will see likely in our lifetime. The solution can only be, how do we create the structures, the relationships, the institutions for bipartisan consensus to occur on climate change and, and other issues. And, and that's why we got started. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think when it, when it comes to lobbying, if you break things down, and I come from a small town in Pennsylvania, um, you know, and I think even if you look back to... Lancaster's not so small? Um, you know, well, New Holland is, home of the New You're Holland tractor, New Holland. ladies and gentlemen. Um, I forgot about that. No, but but this is to say, like, you know, growing up in a small town, I realized that the sheriff knows the mayor, and the mayor knows the mm-hmm. doctor, and the doctor knows the merchant, and they're all going to collude on where to place If one property. of them knows something, the rest of them will know it. I understand that. Um, so I think that's part of the human condition. We can call it whatever we want. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, I think the reason lobbying has such a dirty word in this in this country um, is because it really just implies hand-holding of otherwise very smart people who are otherwise very capable of, of creating solutions. And I think the reason... Why I personally come to work every day very excited to work for MAP is because we're creating a space where lawmakers can devise their own solutions as smart people, as accomplished people, hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, uh, if, if we can create that space, I think the ideas that are going to come out of those conversations are going to have a, 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 a much longer shelf life than, than some of the things that we kind of ram down their throats in D.C. There's a time and a place for everything. But I mm-hmm. think Mac can be very comp- uh, Mac can be very complimentary to that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> indeed. All very good. Uh, as to uh, so obviously you need funds to operate. Right. And uh, uh, do I assume correctly that there are people who donate these funds to you? There are people. Uh, are these, uh, and if uh, the uh, higher level of detail, the better, uh, but uh, don't uh, betray any confidences uh, on my behalf. Uh, but like the people who donate to you, um, what uh, are they? Are they typically political donors? Are they more philanthropy folks? Like, what is the reason behind, and what's your strategy for you know getting the dollars out of them? It's a good question. Most of our donor, so we have a combination of institutional funders, individual donors, and to a very, very small uh, percent, mostly for specific events or conferences, we'll have uh, a corporate sponsor like Google had actually uh, hosted uh, an event for us recently. But for the most part, individual donors and and institutions, and for the individual donors, which I think you're mostly asking about, some of them have been interested in politics, some have given political contributions. Some are involved with think tanks in town, like, mm. you know, whether it's the American Enterprise Institute or Brookings. Uh, their interest more is in deliberative policy making and thoughtfulness, which they feel like has lost, been lost from the system. Mm. What um, would make them feel that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and others haven't. And uh, I think the biggest uh, motivation to give is one, for, for a startup, they more than anything else, more than your programming, even more than your mission, is the leadership involved, the people and the talent. If they feel like this is a talented group and you've built a relationship with them, then that's gonna get some of your first checks. And then after that, you have to show a certain record of success. Mm. And and then after that, you have to show some real plans for scale. And it's been so helpful for us to have our political system just deteriorate and degrade. <laughs> over the past few years because I hadn't thought about that but now that you say yeah that must be really helpful yeah it is time, helpful every time like especially I mean some of the stuff last year with you know with I mean when when the government was actually shut down yeah. that I mean I assume that was just a you probably someone probably said the word bonanza at some point yeah. in one of your development meetings <laughs> big bucks no whammies yeah. had I thought of that word I would have well, said it's on it, one but. of the after um, it's actually it's actually, it was an unco- that was not a good joke actually because it's a uh, what was the uh, after Hurricane Sandy one of the Red Cross fundraisers got caught on tape saying that it was going to be a bonanza for them wow like the hur- yeah. it was still like people were still like the hurricane was yeah. still happening well I'll tell you I mean this is <laughs> and he was right they raised a lot of money so I well, why should I make fun of them this, I'll just say this, this moment in politics, we think was predictable because in yep. 2011, oh, yeah. 2012, when we were getting this organization off the ground and having the earliest conversations, it was clear that we were on track for a collision, a collision between the worsening gridlock and polarization with a new generation, the millennials, who are impatient and change oriented. Mm-hmm. That collision is happening right now, and, and that's an opportunity for, for us, and that's why we exist. But we knew, I mean, if you just looked at the trends, um, the, the existence of this election where we're talking about a very divisive electorate and conversation, 
was utterly predictable, and and in, in many ways back only a in a matter of time, really. It was only a matter of time. The government shutdown in 2013 was just the beginning it's of a things. Prelude. It was just a prelude of things to come, and and we felt actually back in 2012, 2013 that MAP was maybe a little bit ahead of the times, and then now this year it's it's. Yeah, no. uh, Sort of the times have come. The up times have come. Well, yeah. 2016 has proven to defy all expectations in all industries. That's for sure. I think uh, you know, uh, as a uh, and again, I've, uh, there are uh, Republicans I support, and, and even though I mostly lean Democrat, I don't think everybody should be. Uh, I, you need people who disagree with you, or it makes your ideas better. It's really yeah. important to have at least two sides to arguments. Impossible more than two sides, but at least two sides. I think though. Yeah, you're right. It's a really big generational difference. Yeah. Uh, the generations before us, and, and all generations have a tendency towards tribalism. It's actually mm. part of the reason why we defeated Neanderthal man, because we, <laughs> we got into tribes yeah. better than they. We organized ourselves better into little groups. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, especially in politics, got to the point where we were willing to uh, voraciously support unsupportable ideas in the, in the name of our of our tribe and this is something that I mean climate change is a really great example uh, it's it's hard it's, it's a strange credulity to think that every single Republican member of of Congress and the Senate actually believes climate change is a hoax that is a hoax as you said some of these people are smart went to college know how to read like it they, they uh, but they they're you know their willingness to support the unsupportable superseded their right. need to say things that made sense <laughs> and, I think and there are Democrat. There are things on the on the like uh, GMOs are a pretty good example. Uh, there's some there's some anti-science stuff uh, on 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 every. And I was just talking. I mean, I I think there's lots of things that libertarians say that make sense. Uh, there's things that Jill Stein says that make sense to me until she starts talking about crystals. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, I, it, millennials um, are. She over- thinks crystals are magic and can heal disease. Crystals, they exist. That's a fact. Um, yep, I've but- seen them. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, I, I, and, I, and Dave, I'm sure to a majority of your listeners, um, this will, will come as no surprise, but millennials are just increasingly identifying as having no party, right? I mean, when it comes to this this notion of tribalism as mm-hmm. generations, I think the Internet's really broken through that. Um, and for the first time in human history, um, you see people that have over a dozen tribal affiliations, be that mm-hmm. to yeah. brands mm-hmm. or local local civic organizations or political movements. I mean, mm. we are increasingly diversifying our tribalism. I don't think it's ever going to go away. It's We're a social species. We need it to survive. But um, I think it really has the potential to do wonders for American politics and has the potential to really be transformative in saying, look, I'm not bound by this D or this R or this blue or this red. Uh, mm-hmm. We're a purple generation. And, and that's, you know, we can come out on very clearly on X issue or Y issue, sure, but that doesn't paint an entire political picture. Um, and I think that's important to remember Remember when you're talking about millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And in fact, there is, and one thing I want to, uh, uh, on the generation question, uh, I've heard from some people that the, the, so if you're in college right now, are you a millennial? You're on the tail end. Yeah, you're on the tail so end. So when do they, are there people alive now who aren't? This is why yeah. it would be helpful to have a unifying body that decided on generational cutoffs because these things just don't exist. Yeah. I mean, the generation after, Gen Z, is... Uh, that's, what that's what we're... Yeah. Yeah. We're Gen I remember, y Gen Z. I remember a time when there was no... Millennial wasn't a word. Yeah. We were Generation Y. Yeah. I remember it was everywhere I went. The letters are just generation y. So I assume generation, it'll be Generation Z for now and then right. eventually we'll come Until up Until they invent with, the next Snapchat. Absolutely. Then they'll call them that. Yeah. I call them tweeners. 
Okay. Until, yeah, that works. <laughs> but I don't know how I would feel as a tweener. Eventually, are you? If I wasn't, no, I'm not no, a tweener, but I don't know how I would feel about it. I don't even think I'm, a, I think I might be too old. You're millennial. And then I'm, then what am I? Are you on the cost? All millennials are old. That's the, the sad news that we're Let's say hypothetically I was born in the 70s. Am I really? a millennial? Wow, you look the late seventy. Right. The late Thank you. The beard is really <laughs> the, the beard yeah, is, yeah. is confused me. Too. I think I, but what I don't even know. I literally don't even know what my generation's called. Can you guys help me? You're very clearly a millennial, but I mean that's the thing. <laughs> I identify as one, yeah. and I and I think values wise, and I go I go to the meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we host a secret. I've been to a future caucus event. I think. The, don't tell them about the meetings. Yeah, here at the lookup. I also go to the Jew we... meetings. Yeah. Those are the meetings that you guys won't be able to attend. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I attend them. <laughs> oh, you've been? I'm very oh, plugged been? into the you've Jewish been? community. Yeah. My mother's mother's mother. Oh, yeah. Depends on who you ask, in, but absolutely. I guess I have a little calling in the tribe. You should get t- tested for Tay-Sachs. You could have it. You never know. <laughs> I could, you know, I can have a lot of things. It's very painful, as I understand. I had a cousin. I'm very, I'm very pain-averse. I don't know. <laughs> you know what, speaking of millennials, one thing I find fascinating is how there people have... A variety of opinions on generational theory like does it really exist and when you travel i'm sure you've traveled abroad a lot and you you meet millennials in other countries and mm. you realize that there actually are a lot of similarities you realize that uh millennials say in egypt or india and in a number of places you know have been watching western media they have ideas about democracy and they want fear, free and self-expression and that's coming into conflict with centuries-old political institutions. And uh, I, I just find that really fascinating from a kind of generational standpoint. I think it's validation that there is some distinguishing points from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, my father is a cultural historian. And oh, wow. uh, his big criticism of the uh, generational talk is that we, like, he would say... Uh, that millennials and Generation Z, for instance, there's no real, in terms of historical perspective, there's really no difference. Yeah. Right? And in fact, between boomers and millennials, there really isn't. That's true. Like, from that if you're going to look at the yeah. whole realm of human, all of human history, absolutely, like, there's really not a difference, right? But right. then, right. but there are like there are slow shifts, just like with climate change, right? You know, right. you know, you can go to a mountain 50 years ago, and there have been changes in those 50 years, but you're not going to be able uh, to see them, right? right? Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I think the, we were, we've been blessed, uh, and particularly like I actually got to see it unfold before my eyes. Uh, some, some pretty radical technology came out, uh, while I was quite young. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say we're the first generation to really span, uh, analog and digital for sure. Um, and I think it positions us uniquely to be that bridge. Yeah. the, uh, The, my first internet when I was in high school. Yeah. And my first email address. But you still remember recording songs off the radio, which places you... I in recorded a, songs on a, onto a tape. As did wow. a lot of millennials. And so I didn't, a lot. And I think... <laughs> a lot. It's so superficial. I that every day. But I think that illustrates our generation perfectly. We are the bridge generation. You know how much harder that is than downloading a song? I remember downloading it my first... It takes dedication. I down, downloaded my first... Uh, freshman, freshman year of college, downloading my first Napster song. What was that? Oh, it's gonna be embarrassing. You gotta say. You gotta say it. it. I'll tell you mine. The real Slim Shady. It was the thong song. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> was pretty close. It was definitely. I remember I was at college, like, and I was like, I want to blast something, and 
it was definitely you know the th- you're not too oh, yeah, young absolutely. for that right first two <laughs> first two MP3s I remember clearly uh, semi charm kind of life and, <laughs> and a song from the South Park movie which oh. I cannot repeat on air you know speaking of thongs I think is this it is Uncle good... is it Uncle speaking, Fucker uh, perhaps but speaking <laughs> I really want to say I can, it's my I'm, show I can say Uncle Fucker <laughs> if I want. <laughs> I was 11. I wasn't even allowed to the, download that. Uh, the end of most episodes of Wine Grants tend to d- deteriorate. Our regular listeners, <laughs> this will not come as much as long transition to bring in yeah, Nick. Yeah, I wanted to say, I wanted yeah, yeah, to say uh, if you wanted to bring someone in to say some something serious On about your organization, thongs here. now would be a good time. Yeah, yeah here we go. Look at yeah. it. He knows this how booth to unlock is super doors. Secure. Oh, right. Yeah, it's it's I'm digging this air that came through. Bringing in out, some, song right bringing in some relief. First songs downloaded on Napster. I can't hang y'all. <laughs> yeah. Bring it in. Bring it on in. Now we just have friends that join us. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the booth, Nick. Nick's Thank here. you. Uh, Nick, you work. Do you you work at Map? I do. I'm uh, playing an interim COO role. Interim yeah. COO. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, I've been a, I was a, my title, a director of operations uh, at, a, at a nonprofit a while ago. And it's a, I think, you know, people call it the number two man. I, I've heard people say, like, I'm an ops guy, right? Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, I think, you know, especially for your visionary founders out there, it's really yeah. important to find yep. somebody. Yep. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about your, like, philosophy behind being an yeah, ops guy? Or sure. Well, and, and, I, and I probably should confess I'm actually not an ops guy by training. Um, <laughs> You know, I think, you know, Stephen and I have been uh, working together kind of informally for over a year now. And so the, you know, the opportunity arose to kind of play a more day-to-day hands-on uh, role with him in the organization at the moment. So I was glad to step in. Um, but I think, you know, what I, I sit a, as board chair in another local nonprofit called Project Create, which is a DC-based arts organization. Mm. So, you know, have the ability to, I guess, come at the job from a couple of angles. One is... Um, just in the role, seeing what we need to do to uh, build good systems and processes. Uh, we're in the middle of a bit of a hiring push right now, getting the right people uh, in the right chairs to be able to deliver the work um, and then you know, measure that work and, and get more funding to do more work. Uh, so that's a big part of it. Uh, but also thinking about it from a governance perspective um, as board chair, what makes for uh, a strong operation that uh, allows um, you know, the, the principal, in this case, Stephen, to do the things that a founder um, and president should really focus their time mm-hmm. on. Certain things that uh, really only a founder can do and do right. well, uh, whether that's go out and ask for money, uh, to really be the, the face and the voice of the organization. And so a lot of what we're talking about right now um, at MAP is how do we optimize uh, the team's portfolios uh, and make sure that Stephen's got the ability to balance out uh, his time in a way that uh, makes the most difference. Mm, that's very good. I like to uh, compare startup nonprofits to uh, the Israelites. Okay. This is going to be great. Fleeing okay. Egypt. All right. Love it. Um, we, uh, if you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, I think they did generally a disservice to the study of leadership in America by presenting Moses as this charismatic leader who mm-hmm. ran everything. If you if you read uh, Torah closely, you'll see actually that Moses had a stutter and no one liked him. <laughs> He was he was really rude, yeah. right? And particularly, and he was when it came time for someone to be an asshole to Pharaoh, yeah. they had the right guy, right? Yeah. Every now and then, you need someone yeah. to go out there and be an asshole. Yeah. He also had a vision, yeah. right? True. God was speaking to him, focused. and he knew a focused vision. He knew yeah. exactly where he wanted his his team to go. What he couldn't do was explain that in a way that ingratiated that vision to anyone right. else. Yeah. No one liked hearing him talk. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? He was lucky, though. Yeah. Uh, he had a friend, Joshua, and a, yeah. and a bro- uh, wait, I'm, a friend, Joshua, and a brother, Aaron, possibly a friend, Aaron, and a brother, Joshua, and a sister, Miriam. And these are the, the leadership styles that we don't hear about. Okay. Everybody's aware of the like yeah. charismatic leader who sure. can do everything. Sure. That's not a real thing. Sure. That doesn't exist. Yeah. He's not out there. Yeah. You're never going to find him. <laughs> yep. Everyone has everyone has stuff they can't do. Everyone has blind spots. Everyone has faults, right? Uh, Aaron uh, ran the camp. He made sure everybody was fed, made sure that things got packed up properly. Logistics, he was the COO, right? Joshua did not have a stutter, was able to speak uh, multiple languages. He could uh, convince people of, Mos- of his brother's vision. Uh, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing this. This is why you need to join us, right? And then there was Miriam, who played the tambourine in the camp. <laughs> Made everybody in the camp, and like, she made sure there's a fire, she made sure the people in the camp were well fed, right? Made sure that the, the morale was up in the camp. I think that's actually one of the yeah. more underrated yeah. uh, leadership forms that exist. I, you and you, know, you could call these the, it's the COO, the CMO, mm-hmm. the CEO, and the HR director, sure. or the, uh, the, the personhood director. Program coordinator. Program, or perhaps the <laughs> <Yeah>. program coordinator. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm Is that kidding. your title? Program coordinator. Very, Indeed, yeah, yeah. very prestigious. <laughs> Hey, look! Someone's got to sail the yeah, ship someone while knows, someone yeah. charts the course. You someone, know? Yeah, no, you know, it, and 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 what you're doing is a form of leadership too, right? In that camp, there was somebody, 100%. there was somebody at the front of the camp, yeah. right, who saw things before everybody else and who made decisions. Like, the there are there are multiple types of leaders yeah. that we have to have, and this is a mistake that a lot of folks start in the nonprofit yeah. out. They think they got to be all four of those folks, yeah, and they can't. The best thing you can do is find three three people who have those those three skill sets. Would you say you're were you a bit of a you're a little bit of a Miriam, a little Miriam? I feel uh, you know of, honestly. I feel like a little bit between Miriam and Joshua. I love communicating messages, but really my 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 happiest my best life is is macro level making things happen. I'm mm-hmm. um, making sure all the pieces fit and the machine is greased. Whatever analogy you want to use, mm. I'm behind it. No, uh, yeah, I would say I'm a. Mix. Well, and uh, there are lots of folks, uh, founders especially, who, who <clears throat> when they're hiring, uh, uh, when they're staffing up. You know, they talk about how they want to free themselves up. Yeah. Uh, and it's a that's an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. I have seen folks say that because basically they, they didn't want to, they don't, they don't like doing work. Sure. And they don't want to do work anymore. Yeah. Right? Other times it's, but there is like, if we can make it possible for Steve to be 100% of the time talking to money bags that want to support the organization. Right. That is something you should do. He should be in rooms. But also telling the story. Also yeah, telling the story like to money bags that can support the organization. Sure. But it's just the general <laughs> population too. If I mean, any of those if money if Mr. Moneybags, if you're listening this week. Yeah, we could really use your supporting, help. Is there a donate button prominently featured on your There is. on your website? There, we Very are. Prominent. You <laughs> can also We're enabled for that. I don't know if you're interested, but your your listeners can actually sign up for a newsletter. Oh, good. So just something to throw out. My there. listeners love they fucking love newsletters, <laughs> Eugene. We um <laughs> We've got plenty of news to, to just, letter. They were they're they're going nuts. I can tell they're all at home right now. They're like, thank God. I'm glad I listened to the end. Listen, just scroll down. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> all right, I think we've I think we've probably exhausted the topic. It's been a pleasure uh, to have the, mo- the map folks by support the stuff that you're doing. If you guys uh, have a um, unfunded uh, proposal you want to send along, our deadline is October 15th. We'd be uh, happy to look it over. Cheers. Uh, you you already know a lot of the folks on the evaluation committee, but some of them you don't. We'll uh, try to be as helpful as possible. Uh, obviously, the um, the government controls the country basically, and so the work you're doing is is pretty important, no matter what you consider to be important. Mm. Uh, thank you um, for stopping by. Thank you, Steve, who hopefully is listening in in the other room now. 
Uh, this is the first time that the that uh, the guest whose bio I read wasn't actually in the booth at <laughs> the, the end of the podcast. This is we're setting a whole. Well, you know, you always keep your your guests on your toes. Uh, we figure we try. That's and why keep they you keep on coming toes. back. That's why they keep coming back to listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just figure we keep you on your toes. Switch it up yep. a little bit. You yep. know? Well, oh, yeah. Uh, as always, I want to thank the Lookout DC, which is a beautiful co-working space for filmmakers and other creative professionals, located in the Adams Morgan District of Washington DC. I want to thank my guests from MAP, the Millennial Action Project, uh, and everybody at home. Good luck with your funding.